0: You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing the world. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent.
1: We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse to their industry.
0: Pulse. Welcome to, to
1: Electric People. We have Dave Madsen on the show. Check out Tim Ballard, Jeff Curl, Sheckler. Kenzie Watts. The
0: league presents Electric
1: People. Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of Electric People. We've got John Woodfield, home court advantage, sitting in Orange County, California.
2: Sup? Good to be here, guys. Thanks, Thanks for, for being everyone. on,
1: man. We, uh, we were talking about some of the early glory days of alarms and thought we better start the camera because the world needs to hear what John Woodfield has in that memory bank. So, um, market, John runs the Orange County Market, um, ultimately started with uh, East LA and Orange County, juggling two offices, has split and grown this one off, uh, over 350 career installs. How, many, how, how long have you been doing direct
2: sales? You started in what? 2007 was my first summer. Wow. Then, and then, so I did six summers and then four and a half years of Invent Solar. I always like it so when it decade. sounds like a
1: sentence. I did six summers and four and a half years. <laughs>
2: you know? <laughs> I did two <laughs> tours
1: over in, <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: over in Florida. <laughs> That's what it feels like sometimes. I
1: know, huh? Well, thanks for being on, dude. I have a question for you to start things off. Okay. Standard question that I think every leader has at some point faced in their life. Why manage when you could probably make up the money just selling and have a lot less headache? Have you ever had that thought, John?
2: I definitely have. And I feel like what I've found is there's a lot of fulfillment in doing your own production and achieving goals. But the longer, kind of lasting fulfillment, where you've, you know, you go home at the end of the night and you really feel good about what you do, comes from leadership. So, developing leaders and seeing them grow and almost take the same path that you yourself saw or went through is as gratifying, if not more gratifying, um, than just doing it on your own. So, it, it definitely, like, in the times where it's stressful or it's hard, you're kind of like, you I question feel like it. it's
1: the thought that comes right up, and you're like. Every now and then you're driving home and you're like, you know what, if I just sold six more accounts, I wouldn't have any of this. You know?
2: Life could be easier for sure. But I think that in everybody's path, especially in the door-to-door industry, you prove yourself pretty early on. Like I proved myself my first summer selling alarms that I could do it. But there's always that next level of saying, hey, I want st- to grow, continue to stretch myself, so I'm going to push for that next level of, of, of growth and leadership and, and becoming a leader.
1: Yeah, it's hard to keep that perspective at the time sometimes. But the thing that about John is John's a really good personal seller. He's also a a really good leader. And I remember when we were first starting working together on the solar side, we worked a little bit together on the alarm side, but um, we were helping find um, a partner to to run the market with him. I don't know if you remember this conversation, but you said, hey, uh, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but I put a lot into this. Like I, I I spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of work, and the conversation was wanting to make sure that you had someone that was willing to be at least as as committed as you, and that your, your contributions would be valued and all that kind of stuff. But um, I also wonder just for the people that can, cause there's not a lot of people that can do both really well. Like you mm-hmm. can lead teams really well and you can sell really well. And I know I've had the thought, like sometimes I'm like, dude, if I didn't have any of this. I think this, you and I have
0: had the combo before.
1: We ha- <laughs> I actually think you pull up the text thread. But sometimes you <laughs> think, man, if I didn't have any of this and I just went and sold, would that be better? But I think you're right. Ultimately, the fulfillment thing, it might be better for a month or two. But
2: Yeah. I remember early on when I first came in, Dave Madsen sat me down and he said, look, like the number one thing you got to worry about is you just need to personally be impressive. If you can lead... Personally, I mean, a lot of times we, as leaders, we get caught up in you know our other guys, and it's almost sometimes easier just to to worry about other people. But he said if you if you can go out, lead from the front, and be be impressive, everything else will take care of itself. And so um, when I came into this office, we really had nothing here, and so there's a lot to do, a lot to recruiting different things like that. But he said, look, just don't worry about that. Just go lead, go personally recruit and the rest will take care of itself. And so that's kind of, you know, it's evolved and changed and then obviously I haven't been able to do that as much, you know, when you get your team gets bigger, but I think that in the beginning especially, it's super important to gain that respect and just focus on the personal leading from the front.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think um, that, that's an area where you've improved a lot. So not on leading from the front, you've always been good at that, but, um, Leading bigger teams and having like a more broad scope, so maybe talk about that because you know w- we track recruiting metrics now, and to see your downline volume continue to increase, is that something that you consciously worked on, or is it just something that's naturally happened as you've had a ton of time in the industry?
2: Well, I think like I don't I guess what, what happened with me is when I came in to Orange County, we had had it was Reno Mendenhall and Dan Dunn had left for Solar City and uh, Dave Madsen, Branson, my good friend, Branson Hatfield, had just come over and, and they both called me and said, hey, like you should, you should come into Orange County. Like it's an opening. And at that time, like the leadership was pretty thin. And so I was able to walk right into a DM spot. And so when I came in, I was like all excited, but I can't, inherited a team of there was like 10 people left and slowly one by one, they all left. And so it was me a um, guy named Stephen JD left here. Sitting, I remember having meetings with those guys and being like, "Hey, like, <laughs> trying to paint the vision of the growth. Like, you know, to see, you know, if those two guys could be here and see where we're at now, it, it would be pretty awesome." But I guess I was kind of forced to do that. I never felt like I was a really good recruiter. Um, I never felt like it was my strength. I was always just kind of a production first guy. But I understood the concept. If I, you know, just like. If I put my mind towards personal production and I focus on you know what I can control, I can do the same thing in recruiting. And I think it was Brock Morrison talked about it how he just made it a thing yeah. and he focused on it. And that's the way I believe in this job is if we just make it a thing and we put energy and focus towards it, then it'll happen. And so I I I, I kind of made the determination that this this office isn't going to grow by other people like it's got to come down to me. And so I, I really made a focus, and I I felt like that was really kind of the main change for me is when I just focused on it, even though I wasn't necessarily super strong in it originally, I focused on it, and, and results came.
0: I think so many of our, um, we have so many leaders that wait for things to happen, especially with recruiting. We, you know, we have corporate recruiters uh, that staff a lot of our teams, and so a lot of times you'll hear offices say, yeah, no one sent anyone to us in a long time, or this, that, whatever, and I can't remember exactly how the quote goes, but it's, uh, it's like there are people who uh, let things happen to them, there are people that wait th- for things to happen, and then there's people that make things happen. Yeah. And it's like you just wanna be someone that makes things happen. And so it's like if you're a leader or if you are even new to this company and you're trying to make an impact, like make things happen. Don't just wait for things to happen to you or let things happen to you. Like If you want to be a leader, lead from the front, produce, recruit, ask your DMs how to help, like go make stuff happen, you know what I mean? And to me, it seems like that was kind of your attitude as you were like developing and growing this team. You're like, I got to make this thing happen, otherwise it's just not going to. Well, and
1: sure. there was no one else. Like to, to be fair to John, like the 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 weight that John's held over the years and pretty gracefully like there was, it literally was on you. Like had John been like, hey, I'm out too, it, the, the building just would have fallen in.
2: Well, it's interesting because I still remember where I was. Like I'd, I'd become a DM in Orange County and was working there. And then Dave Matson called me like two weeks into the job. I was learning solar, learning how to run a team, trying to preserve things. And Dave says, hey, like your world's about to change. I need you. <laughs> Those
1: or are the kind of calls you want. Your world's about to change. What do, it do you like, mean?
2: We're we're gonna we're gonna fire the DM in in East LA, or we're gonna you know part ways, and uh, we need you to run East LA as well. And so here I am coming into this situation, and I said, I like I got no choice but to to dig in and do whatever I got to do. And that was the hard part. Is is there was a lot of challenges early on, but it was like I had that relationship with Dave and Branson was like, I can't let these guys down. And so when I, especially when I look at new reps, we encounter a lot of like new challenges. There's a lot of like grind and difficulty as we get through this job, but the job becomes easier and better as time goes on. And so I look at like now compared to where I was in that time when I got that call from Dave, like what the heck? And there were times where I definitely doubted the decision and if it was worth it as I was figuring out how to manage and produce. And to just, I'm just grateful that I stuck with it. And even when it didn't look all rosier, and even when we were getting paid $250 a kilowatt, like all this stuff, like to have stuck with it and stayed consistent, the the fruits have definitely been there.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I was thinking before you're kind of like, you're kind of like the baseline to a song. Like it makes the song and if it wasn't there, it wouldn't be complete but you don't always stop and realize like hey that's what's making it right like you've been a part of so many different dynamic teams and i'm i'm excited for your group now because you guys have the size and the structural foundation and with some of the new changes with you know up and coming squad leaders and stuff like that you guys are right at that tipping point that's taken a while to get to where you'll you'll jump off and grow the the one point i wanted to make about recruiting that i think you've been ex- an example of is you said it yourself just now. You said, you know, before I didn't consider myself to be a good recruiter. Well, I actually think it's not that you weren't a good recruiter, it's just like a lot of people, you just didn't do it that much, right? But the reason that recruiting works for leaders when you decide to start doing it, is because if you think about the doors, you, you have to sift through so many unqualified leads to find like good qualified customers. But when you're doing your own recruiting, you actually hit qualified leads. You're calling people often that you know, or you're vetting or you're searching. Now, if you just had to go to like the mall or the fair and find people to work for you, yeah, it's a different story. But that's the one point I hope that other leaders can, can, for those that are thinking maybe, hey, I'm not a good recruiter, or I'm not the recruiting guy, make it a thing like you were saying, but make a list and swing at the people on that list and your conversion will probably be pretty good because those people are qualified leads. It's almost like, hey, go talk to these 15 homeowners that have high power bills. You'll probably have pretty good conversion on them.
2: Yeah. I remember Taylor Turnbull told me early on as well, he said, the way to build a team is not to recruit 30 people, it's to recruit one or two really solid people and then those people recruit for you. And so I feel like a lot of times as recruiters and as our reps, want to develop into squad leaders and build their own teams and their impact score, a lot of times they'll recruit somebody and they'll be like, hey, I got to recruit. Like, this is awesome. But then they don't pan out. And they're kind of discouraged. And it's almost like if you take the same mentality you have on the doors, like it's a numbers game, right? It's not everybody can do door to door. Not everyone we think is going to be successful is going to be successful. But if you're continually doing it, just like your doors and numbers don't lie, they're going to pan out for you. And you're going to find those one or two and I really think you find one or two solid recruits and, and it really just, it steamrolls from there. It just, it snowballs from there. And that's what I have found, is focusing on those really quality guys, but also continuously recruiting and not getting discouraged if you recruit three people and they don't necessarily pan out. It's an ongoing thing. And I think, Ty, you're a really good example of that, of maintaining a list of people and just kind of continually, not like I gotta recruit really hard for like two weeks and yeah. then I'm like, uh, like nobody, nobody panned out.
1: Well, it's timing. It's like having your line in the water, right? Because so many people at the higher level, like Turnbull was saying, like the one or two big ones. Like I was sitting here, thinking, I didn't recruit you technically on paper, but we worked together forever. But it's like, had John Woodfield not, you're that one. And I try to be that one and Adam's that one, right? But like, had you not come in, the teams that you've run for the last four, four and a half years, I can't think of someone who would have done a better job. So we probably wouldn't even have them or they would be less than they are right now. And you probably have certain people where it's like, man, that person was a massive lever that made all of that stuff possible. I just think, I think it's really important because sometimes the timing is wrong, right? Like mm-hmm. I've worked with a lot of people. I'm, I'm recruiting a guy right now. I won't say his name because he's only 75% in, mm-hmm. but, um, I also took a swing at him two years ago, right? And it was just the wrong time. It's not that I did a bad job or he didn't see the opportunity. It's for what he needed and where he was, it was not the right time. Just like customers like in your neighborhood, sometimes they need to see three or four other people. And then what happened is another guy we had recruited in, those two knew each other, started talking and now it's his time. So having your line in the water like consistent, it's just easier. Mm-hmm. Cause if it's like, if you try to kick it up, like turn it on real quick for a two month period, maybe the time is not right. But if you always have your line in the water, then it's like those people. I mean, we just talked to Brian Labonte about, you know, Brian mm-hmm. coming in with Adam Cox and it was just the right time, right? So it was pretty, pretty seamless. Um, but let's, let's get some of the old days stories like you were part of the the Florida crew back in the day man like that that's a whole different world you worked with Alan Swick who I I was partners with Alan Mm -hmm. Swick and I I really enjoy working with Alan Swick that dude is a ton of fun he's more fun than me admittedly
0: he's
2: (laughs) yeah right (laughs) no he is he's great learned a lot from him um
0: I mean he's a bit of a legend in the alarm world yeah so because he was running some top team I never worked at at Vivens, so I never met a lot of these guys. But yeah, we heard about his team in Florida. So you guys had kind of a legendary team down there. Yeah, was it, it was, Miami?
2: It was Miami, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was an awesome, I, I feel super lucky because I came home from my mission and one of my buddies was like, hey, we're going to Miami. And I'm like, cool, I'm in. Just Whatever it nothing is. nothing else to do. <laughs> nothing <laughs> like, else. I remember going pretty to. Pretty good
0: place to nothing else oh, to yeah. do to go to. Yeah, you know? right
2: um i remember we went to like applebee's or something the recruit first recruiting visit and of course alan's like you know we've got 20 spots on our team we actually only have two so we'll kind of see if you guys can fit in and of course i'm like hooked him i'm like oh <laughs> like after i think i sent him a text was like hey man you know i think we're in don't 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 give away those two spots <laughs> and i was dude, just selling like, works better on sales people dude so bad um <laughs> but it was it was amazing. Like it's it's crazy to think like where I was then, where I am now. Like and that kind of started everything. Um, I didn't have any plan of doing it, you know, long term or anything. But I showed up, and I actually had struggled through the preseason. And a lot of the buddies I went out with were, like, you know, getting preseason sales. Like I was just baggling. Like I think we went on three or four sales trips. I didn't sell anything
1: on any of them.
2: On any of them. I had no Most th-
1: people don't survive that. For you guys, that have never been on a preseason trip. What are those like?
2: Oh man, they're sleeping in motel eights and with
1: like seven other oh, people man. you barely know to save money on the
2: hotel. Oh, crazy! It's usually cold. Crazy times, yeah. So usually that- cold. Yeah, like it's usually- <laughs> freezing.
0: <laughs> oh, Well, it's because it's, it's in dark the winter. Super so yeah, so winter winter I'm saying, like, yeah, I remember we used
1: to go. Everybody would go. But south. you don't
0: usually go to a warm place. To you go should. To- I,
1: for some reason, we'd always go to like Burley, Idaho, and like the wind whipping across Idaho in like February is enough to like pierce your hopes and dreams, you know?
2: <laughs> I actually hated preseason trips. Like they were, because I never Everybody could, did, man. They, they were just terrible. So I got to Miami and I bageled like my first three days. And, and one of the things, well, I mean, I was committed to it. I wasn't going to quit, but I just basically stuck with it and ended up, you know, being a good summer for me. But being a part of that, like, seeing how Swick ran his team, like he recruited, he really recruited three or four really solid people and a team of like 50, 60 came from those people. And so from a recruiting standpoint, that was a really good example, but man, just to be out there and, you know, going back to when you were a new rep and experiencing what you experienced, like it's so nice to be able to go to like our reps now and be able to relate and kind of remember like your first store, first, you know, first sale you had um, but we're it really was for
1: four trips. And then the first week, like you had to have, th- have thought at some point, like maybe this is not my thing.
2: Yeah. I, I, I kind of had those doubts cause my buddies were just like, you know, they, and even like listening to their pitches and stuff, I found that they, I'm like, these guys are better salesmen than me. Like I never, even to this day, I don't consider myself like a salesman. Like I'm, I'm not, you know, if you, if you rated me like one to 10 on like a natural salesman, it's just not like, that's not where I would say my natural strength is. But I, I took it and I said, I am a competitive person and I don't want to be at the low end of this office and I want to be able to contribute and I want to have success. And so I just said, you know what, the consistency or the hard work over four months, like I can achieve what I want to do if I stick with it instead of just kind of these shorter sprints or even like those weekends we did. Like, I felt like that was where my strength was, is the ability to just stay consistent over that time period over the summer. Yeah, I think that's I was accurate. thinking
0: about, so you you hinted at this story you were telling us before we started rolling, and it made me think about how a lot of times we'll do these big sales incentives, and my favorite incentives when I was managing teams doing home security set, like summer summer sale. And even today, I think the best incentives are fear-based where like you're scared to lose. If you're more scared to lose than you're trying to win, I actually think you try harder. So like, I thought we were doing some fun ones where we used to have this Applebee's by our office. So with
1: the Applebee's fellas. Yeah. Um, you guys are living the high life. <laughs>
0: Applebee's and if you, they had karaoke every Thursday night. And so what we would do is, if you didn't make a sale every Thursday you had to sing at karaoke <laughs> oh, at applebee's at applebee's yeah, so terrible. i went an entire summer without bageling on a thursday cuz i'm like i'm not singing yeah. and then the very last thursday of the summer i bageled and i ended up singing but they're uh, relentless but like that motivated me more than like literally any other money cuz i just didn't want to do it but um, you have a great one that uh, i wanted to i wanted to yeah. do that. this now keep in mind This is how far HR's come, I would say. This is a tale. This probably wouldn't fly. This is a tale of uh, how far the HR world has affected our world.
2: So yeah, we had, we basically had an incentive or a a punishment, if you will, if you bageled, that every day, like everyone that didn't sell that day was put into a hat. And then we were, mind you, we're in like the basement apartment of like this complex, like those of you guys that do, do summer sales know. And if you, the two names that got drawn out had to box. So, there's like, no headgear, it's just like nightclub, like and like, like, if like, it's it's first like time.
0: regular weighted boxing gloves.
2: Yeah, like standard boxing gloves, like shirts off, like <laughs> here we are, and then everyone's around, like rooting.
0: <laughs> Hold on. So, uh, they have to take out, is that mandatory? It you wasn't.
2: I, don't, I, I just. He took off his shirt, so I took off my shirt. <laughs> so kind of you
0: were like, like, oh, we're going there. I love that it turned
1: from an office to a prison yard in like
0: 15 Just seconds. Just like
2: that. Like clear the chairs. Everyone's around. Like, That's I'm the a-
0: best meeting I think you could have ever been at.
2: I'm, I'm a pretty reserved person. So it was kind of like to and be in that kind of scenario. was like, holy crap. Now, like, and hold this on.
0: Is, was your name drawn first or second?
2: I was, I don't remember, but I think I was drawn first.
0: So when they draw your name, what was the reaction of, oh the, my God. of, the, of, the, of the audience? Crap, man, of like the, they,
2: were, they everybody was just grateful it wasn't them. Yeah, was everyone like, oh, <laughs> was everyone
0: like, oh, it's
2: Woodfield. Like, yeah, so. no, totally. Well, and the kid that I was, I think his name was Jordan, like we were like, we were about the same size. Oh, so, so he was it, a
0: big fella too. Yeah,
2: like he was bigger. And so I was just like, you know, the amount of adrenaline that was running through me right then, and I still like, I still remember, like, we were kind of going at it, and I had my one good punch. It was an uppercut. Came <laughs> up, got the guy right in the chin. I mean, it didn't knock him out, but, like, it was, you know, eventually. It's a nobody... bad day
1: when you get uppercut. No, dude. are you wearing mouthpieces
2: or anything? No. no. No, no. they're
1: wearing, like, cargo shorts with, like, their, their like, literally cliff like bars. Like and knocking I mean, dudes.
2: imagine
0: doing that today. Like, <laughs> no. you'd get fired. No,
2: never do that.
0: Never do that. It was it like, never do that.
2: Then you're done. You take off the gloves, you put on your shirt and you go not outdoors. You go it out was like, doors. To like take a shower or something. Like this was, it was. You know, Chance okay. used to
1: do these incentives where um, he would come to our offices in the summer. And I remember Jordan's first year, he was like the top new sales rep. And he would do these like, these like hunted things where he'd be like, okay, Jordan's the best in the room currently he's selling more than anybody else so anybody that beats Jordan he'd give some elaborate prize and then Jordan would just go out and like try to stay alive all day he had something like that but it's you know it is it is fun to have like the the summers were great because they really activated like core sales senses like being like knowing you had to contribute or else you had to sing or you'd get your (laughs) Ten to fight, <laughs> you get your, your, oh, yeah. your lower jaw knocked through the top of your skull if you didn't. But I remember like the, how far the industry's come like we used to do this thing when I first started, where if you were the top seller of the day, you could get any CD you wanted at Best Buy. <laughs> mm-hmm. CD dude, 15 bucks. And I got so many CDs, like I would just like go so hard. <laughs> You know, but it's it's get, stuff you were like working that. on
0: that on that Blink 182 collection. Well, you buy what?
1: stuff that you like liked, but you didn't want to purchase. So like, I, I, I remember I bought like the ACDC Back in Black album because like I wanted to have it, but did I want
0: to spend money piece. on something any that I already had? Any collection you know? should have that CD.
1: I know, but it's like you know it so well, you want to spend money. See, people now don't realize you just have any song you want whenever you want. But back then, it's like you got 15 bucks, Are so you gonna buy an album you already know. Or one that might be the next good album. Yeah. So beating choices.
0: him, you won the fight. Did that get you?
2: <laughs> was there was no, was no declared arguable? winner. Okay. No declared winner. But uh, how, it actually it didn't go to how did it end? How did it end? I don't know. I think Swick just said, "Okay, enough is enough." We I think we literally like it felt like five minutes, but it was maybe 30 seconds. It was yeah. just this yeah. un like, unskilled like wild punching for Slow like 30 fast. seconds. Maybe one punch landed, and then we were done.
1: What are uh, what are some of the things that you've learned from the early days that you've tried to implement? Cuz you know, you started in 07 and we're <clears throat> 13 years later. And you know, I would say you're still doing the same job but it's not, right? Like everybody has evolved. What are some of the early lessons that you learned that that you try to implement?
2: One of the things that I am really grateful for that I learned early on was the power of good habits. And I feel like I was so like, it was very regimented. And I, I looked at it like I've got four months and I you know I can't afford to like not give my full effort this time if I'm gonna be successful. And so I felt like early on I developed really good habits that have carried through with me today. And one of those just to like point out is like, I, I think I knocked never, like I think it was nine, 9 o'clock was our knocking time. And like almost like to an OCD level, I always knocked a door at nine or after. Like if I knocked a door like 8.57, and even if I talked to him for 10 minutes, I still had to knock a door after nine o'clock. And so I feel like that habit is just one thing to point out that I carried with me is just when I set a time, like I don't, I don't go, go back on it because once you start breaking down that habit and like, you know, we call them game time decisions. Like we make decisions of whether or not we're gonna to continue to do what we wanna do knocking wise or whatever, it really hurts us. And so the comparison I always give is, it's like when you're screwing in a screw, if the second you start to strip that screw, like you, you can't screw the screw in anymore. So that habit, like that we, mm, we teach people- That's a great example, I've never heard that before. Right, like you teach people, hey, you gotta be on the doors by two, you gotta be off by eight or whatever. I learned that so ingrained, it was so ingrained in me that I religiously followed it, and so now, for me, that habit isn't like i 'm not just fe- seeing how I feel and going home, like I almost like play a little game with myself and i 'm OCD about it that i 've got to knock that last door at you know it 's not nine anymore or whatever, but eight o'clock i 've got to hit that last door at that time
1: there's such a there's such a uh, power in in that limited time frame, right, so to say like, hey, we have four months, that was one hundred and eighteen days back then, and limited time um and, and, and I remember feeling the same way. I remember feeling like, hey, my job is to impress myself. It's almost like working out, like no one's really gonna know how much strain you're feeling or how much pain you're feeling. But um, with, with the, if reps can, can completely commit to impressing themselves, they'll always have success because that confidence is so directly tied to what we do that if you're an 852 quitter when you set out a goal to to work until nine, it ultimately like changes the way you feel about yourself, right? Like whether you're skilled or not, nine o two feels good. Eight fifty two is a little disappointing. That's
0: true. Well, there's something mentally that happens, and when you touched on working out, it's like if you 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 start a, a set of squats or whatever, and you're like, I'm doing ten reps, and you quit at eight or nine, or if you that just feeling, right? or if you just gut out the tenth rep like mentally there's such a massive difference that takes place between quitting it the eighth rep or the ninth rep and then just hitting the 10 that you said you were going to hit right so it's the same thing exact same principle with the job it's like you set a goal you quit at 8:55, or you quit at three o'clock on a saturday when you told yourself you were going to work till six like if you just work till six there's just something gratifying in mm-hmm. that you grow from as well like that's It's like the growth occurs between rep nine and 10, not reps reps one through eight, you know? Like that's where the growth happens is those last two reps.
2: Yeah, and I think that's another thing that I learned on that is is like, especially with solar, it's about the long, it's those that little stuff, you know, we talk about the compound effect, like it's that little stuff done consistently over time, right, and so I, I, being a pretty competitive person, I feel like if you put me in a situation with somebody and like, hey, two weeks sprint, like I may not always win that battle, but one thing I always counted on is, well, over a long period of time, like day in and day out, I can hold to my habits and my what I've set out to do. And that's, that, that's what'll pay off in the end and, and ultimately in a competitive situation, you know, win out. And so I looked at it like when I was in Miami, I was like, I secretly really wanna like, you know, be a top guy in this office. And like for a lot of the summer, I was maybe like eighth or ninth or 10th. But then when August came, a lot of the guys kind of, you know, fell off and didn't produce. And so I stayed consistent, ended up, you know, being higher up in the office ranking wise. And, And so it's to me, like, that's what I love about solar is your ability to do it consistently over, you know, we got a full year, Right. And so if you can work and stay consistent and your habits are strong and your systems are there, and it's not about like, you know, Jordan Williams always talk about, you know, discipline over motivation. Right. It's about the day in and day out and doing that. That's where the real success comes. And I like, I I say that to anybody in my office. I say, you don't have to be Dave Madsen or you don't have to be crazy talented. You just, if you have, you know, you set these habits and you stick with them, like that's where the success comes.
1: It reminds me of, um, it, it, that correlates with like your, your like endurance racing that you've done in the past. So I did a triathlon with you, that was my first one ever. Should we tell the story of the swim? Sure. <laughs> so John was my, like, I, we, I signed up oh. for a triathlon and uh, John had done triathlons. So like all of a sudden he's like the triathlon guy to me. So I have all these questions and everything. And I had never swam a mile. I had never biked 25 miles or more and I'd never run six miles and that was the event. And so John was like, hey, we Wait, should. Wait, so what is it? It's a triathlon. So the triathlon is a mile, or it was an Olympic. So it's a, it's a mile yeah. swim, a 25 mile bike and a six mile run. Okay. That's what it is. So you hear those numbers, you're like, I could do that. And that's kind of what I thought, but I had never done any of those things before. And so John was like, hey, we should, we should practice and go like swim in the ocean because swimming in the ocean is really different than swimming in a pool. So I was like, okay. So you saw my very first ocean swim.
2: <laughs> and I feel like I saw so like bad. Rich Accordion's first distance swim in Lake Powell, it was so bad. Well, we were first of all swimming in like the surf. Like it was like we were maybe. In Newport Beach. Yeah, like. I didn't it, know where to go, dude. Like, it was just like we were, and it had my fault too, but like I, we didn't want to like swim way out. We were like.
1: Because there was a shark attack in that bay like four years before. Four years before. Four years. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. A person got eaten by a shark. Well, doing there was the a exact car accident. We there was doing. a car
0: accident on the five a year ago as yeah, well, with your you odds, should, you your, should definitely not drive. Hey, odds man, it'd be
1: like if like you you knew somebody that got eaten by a bear at this exact camp spot. You might think about that while you were camping at night and it was dark and your fears were out.
2: <laughs> yeah, we were... Hey, listen, was...
1: I was in the water, you weren't, man. Okay,
2: so tell him, John, tell them <laughs> yeah, so what there, else I did wrong. And here <laughs> we are, like, trying to swim, you know, like, open water swimming is way different than swimming in a pool. And it's kind of claustrophobic. Like, when
1: you put your face down in the ocean and it's not super clear, and you start swimming and, like... And there's surf and you're a beginner anyway, like it's a bit suffocating, you know?
2: Yeah, no, and you're yeah, the surf that's the thing, waves crashing on you, like you hit like a high spot and you're like having to like crawl through it was. Every time you turn your head to
1: breathe, you get a mouthful of wave in your face. But it was funny because every time John turned around to check on me, I was a lot farther behind John. My head was up and I'm like, my goggles are like your body's just vertical in the water. He's like, seriously. And this is like two weeks before the race. So he's like, I don't know if this is for you, but hey, we got it done. (laughs) We got through it. Back to the point. That's what endurance racing is, right? It's like you don't have to be good at that start. You have to be consistent, you have to keep your head, you have to keep your breath, and you have to keep moving. And you're really good at endurance racing.
2: Yeah, I I think I I think that's an awesome comparison. That's the way I think about it. We're we're all running marathons here. Um, especially in solar. And the whole idea is, is if you try to run a marathon or run a triathlon, like, and you and your pace is just crazy, like, you'll, you'll burn out or, you know, burn out or you'll end up, you know, getting to a point where you end up, you can't, you got to stop or take a break or whatever. But I think the key, what I found, what I love about um, door-to-door and about solar is finding a pace that's sustainable. So when you go home, you're not just like, Oh man, like I'm so mm-hmm. dead, so tired. But you can just do day in and day out. You don't need to go knock on a hundred doors every single day, but just enough so that you're keeping. And so the next day, it's not like this mentally. Your mind or your body is like, wow, that was like crazy hard yesterday. But you talk about rhythm, you know, something that's rhythmic that you that you can do, and that's mentally, you're not going to say, well, I can't keep this pace up. It's
1: the baseline, right? dude. Dun, 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 dun dong yep. um, what's something that you teach your reps or that you do for yourself to keep that rhythm because it, I'm on board 100 percent with the concept, but what are like little rules or habits or things that you subscribe to because obviously going till nine is not the thing in a year-round game, right
2: Yeah, so there's a couple of things, and I think that that the way I manage my week um, and kind of my life is I, I definitely am intentional and I plan and so like to stay consistent and to stay kind of in out and and keep a rhythm and knowing like that if I have a trip or a vacation or things coming, I I, I plan it out. I know what times and days I'm knocking and so I'm- Like eight, you
1: plan your volume like before I go, I need to be yeah, at this point. like
2: to- I know, like I look at and I say, well, I'm gonna be gone this week and so I've got you know, the next week after, I'm gonna be trying to get back momentum and, you know, I probably won't have anything in the pipeline. And so I'm very like, you know, almost to a fault, I look, look in the future pretty far. And so um, I kind of plan to know what I need to do. And then on a weekly basis, I, I, I live my life week to week. A Sunday is kind of a day where I get a reset and basically just say like, okay, that was kind of crazy or whatever, but now I'm, I need to reset and get back, get my goals, what days I'm knocking and how like, how this is gonna work and be sustainable. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna be able to maintain that rhythm. So I teach, teach my reps to um, be structured, be organized, plan how you're gonna live your life. Because if I know I'm gonna be leaving for Friday and Saturday, like I know what I gotta do those other days. And I know how crucial it is versus like showing up in Thursday. And you're like, oh, I haven't really worked hard this week, but I guess I'm going on vacation tomorrow. Like knowing in advance. And then the second thing I would say is just being, being really intentional and having like a target. I think that this job is so hard if we don't know, you know where we're going and what we're kind of shooting for. And, um, and so having a target and what it's gonna take allows me to kind of backtrack and say, okay, like this is what I need to do day in and day out to stay consistent. And so I know what it's like to be kind of like, well, I hope I do this or I hope I do you know, whatever. But if I know like, hey, I want to hit the league trip or I want to hit franchise or I want to do these things, like having those, those are the things that get you out of the car every day. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that instead of sitting in your car and looking at your phone, knowing, hey, I got to do this in order to meet my goals, like that's to me has helped me to stay, maintain that consistency and rhythm.
0: You seem like, uh, I mean, I know we don't know each other all that well, but you strike me as someone who doesn't uh, get overly stressed out. Or at least you hide it well, yeah. Or you just kind of take things in stride. Where does that come from?
2: That's a good question. Um, I think that that uh, what I've found is is like instead of it's it's kind of going back to that planning and being prepared for knowing what's coming. And when I look at a quarter. I say, okay, like I know I'm gonna have some rougher weeks or I am gonna be gone or know I'm gonna have like some issues come up, but I don't wanna to get to the end of the quarter and like start stressing because I need to hit my numbers or whatever. And so the having what I call runway, having opportunity to kind of make sure I'm prepared well in advance on production and what I'm gonna do it helps me lower my stress level. And then the other thing too is is, what's so great about this job is I've pretty much seen about everything. That's what's like time in the industry. You know, like when you're going through a rough patch, like you've been through 20 other rough patches. And so it's not like this, I can't sell thing anymore. And so, you know, we talk about staying even keel, like I'm not gonna freak out because I've had that experience. And I I remember last year, I went through something like this. I just need to stay consistent and I'll be fine so that I don't stress over it. And so one thing that's hard about a new rep is they experience a bunch of cancels or, you know, not the success they were hoping that week or something. And then they're so down that it affects how they continue you yeah. know, their day to day. And so it's this, right? It's yep, the solar coaster we talk about. And so that's what's so beneficial about just staying and sticking in this job and staying consistent is because then you get to the point where You've experienced those things before, and your highs and lows are are they they're not as steep if you will
0: what do you do or I guess what advice would you have for a newer rep experiencing kind of their first run at the bumps in the road that happen in this job because I think so many of our guys are really talented and I think the most successful seem to manage the stress the best or they manage the the bumps in the road that you know, come because it's like you see guys will just have these huge weeks or they'll have a bunch of installs one month and then all of a sudden they don't, you don't see anything for a couple months, you know. So how how do, you, how do you, I guess, what advice do you have for our new guys as those bumps in the road come or the choppy water comes?
2: Yeah, Dave Madsen always says you cannot get frustrated for six months. Like you cannot come to me frustrated for six months in this job. You just need to, need to stick with it. And I think what I would say is, is I'm a big believer in not focusing as much on the results in developing the habits of, because if, if you can go in and you can figure out how to get on the doors at two o'clock and off at eight every day, and you just stay consistent with that, the results will come. And for some people, the skills, you know, take a little bit longer to develop, but focusing on that being your win, right? Hey. I feel good about myself because I knocked my last door at eight o'clock or nine o'clock or whatever, versus I didn't get any ACs today, I didn't close any deals. And so my my advice to new rep is, hey, focus on what you can control, focus on the habits, developing good habits early on, so they'll carry you through later on when you're struggling or when you have difficulty. But don't stress because you're not like the guy that came in and did five welcome calls in his first week.
1: Comparison really screws you up Right, because you're, you're 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 this is a job that really is really raw and pure, and so the skills that it requires everybody has in different doses at different times, and so it's like if I'm comparing myself to John Woodfield, say you started fast and I started slow. Well, emotionally and mentally, and from a relationship standpoint and spiritually, all those things you, you don't see all of a sudden matter in this job, right? So it takes a while for alignment to happen, but I love the advice of you, you, don't, you haven't earned frustration in the first six months because you're figuring it out and your body and your brain are kind of figuring it out at the same time, right? It's one of those things where it's like, it takes time for the, like the cement to dry before you can build on it. And due to temperature and other factors, sometimes it takes longer.
2: Yeah, and I think too, I think that understanding what's coming, right? Like if you mentally know, like it's hard to know exactly, you you haven't experienced it. So people come in and when they're coming to -to door-to-door, they're thinking money and like success and they see all these people that have done really well and yeah, they compare themselves or they get frustrated. I mean, like what goes on in a new rep's brain when they're out in their area and they've been knocking for three hours and they have no success, like... Most people just, they're just not prepared for that. Like they just haven't had that experience. And so understanding and almost mentally yourself, not like setting yourself up where you're gonna compare yourself or or be totally disappointed, but knowing that you're gonna go through those patches. Like I always tell reps like, understand that you're gonna be frustrated and, and maybe be question yourself. But if you know that that's gonna come, when it does come, you're more prepared. It's the same thing with cancels or You know, like an install is about to go in and someone, you know, they'd back out. Like, as long as you understand that that's normal and it's gonna happen, then you're a little better prepared for it. When I first came in, my first six months, I had, I just, my close ratio to like AC to welcome call, which wasn't as high as, it was really low. I was creating a lot of accounts, but I was getting a lot of cancels. And fortunately, I was kind of in a situation where Dave had placed so much trust, you guys had placed so much trust in me that I, and I was a, the leader of the office, like I couldn't really do anything. But in the back of my mind, I was going, man, this is really hard. And I don't know if this is like gonna work out. Um, did I make the right choice? But sticking with it and, and getting through it, my close ratio improved, my ability to handle like tough times, all of that got so much better. And it was just time. Like it wasn't like I had a, a magic trick or anything, but just with time on the doors, I learned how to handle mentally what was coming in the job, and it gave me experience for everything else that came.
1: I think it's important to like, that's kind of like knowing the math of the sales business, not like the economics of the business, but like I I, I think of it this way. So if you're a rep, understand that if you're new, it takes 10 qualified homeowners to create an AC. Well, it takes three ACs to get an install, right? So if you're thinking of how many pitches do I have to give to get an
0: your install? First, especially your it's, first install. Yeah, it's 30. Yeah.
1: It's 30 at least. Well, how long does it take to do 30 qualified pitches? It takes six hours a day, five days a week. That's the math. Well, if you look at the the a quarter in those 13 weeks, three, and in a high paying and 100% commission job, if you're going 13 weeks, you can expect three of those weeks to be really hard. Frustrating, cancels, maybe you're sick, maybe there's Off whatever. Week. Off week, slumps, all that, three weeks three out of 10, that's not that, or three out of 13, that's not that bad. Well, you can probably expect three of those weeks to be really good where you're like, dude, I'm hitting, I'm, I've got welcome calls. And then you know, the other seven are probably mostly unsexy and uneventful. So I think knowing that to be like, okay, when you're having your three good weeks, you're like, okay, this is one of my good ones. I need to capitalize on it. When you're having your bad week, you, you, uh, you don't freak out. And then when you're having your regular weeks, you stay consistent. Have you guys seen, have you seen Blow? The movie Blow? You seen Mm -hmm. Blow? I don't think so. It's with Johnny Depp. It's really good. It's old. But I remember like uh, Ray Liotta plays his dad. And remember when they are going to a bank and like Johnny Depp's learning that it's really hard to not have any money. And his dad gets denied a loan for a bank and Johnny Depp's like, what are we going to do? And he looks at him and he says, he says, uh, you're going to learn this. But he goes, when you're, when you're up, it does, it's never as good as it seems. You know, When you're down, you never feel like you get back up. But he goes, money is not real, it doesn't matter. You just think it matters. But it's the same thing with the job where it's like, man, when you sell a lot, some people are like, they just ride that so high and you think you'll never come back down. But also when you're down, that's a weird spot in your head if you haven't experienced that for the first time because all of your previous 30 years of life experience are out the window and all of a sudden you're thinking, I may never have a shred of success ever again in my life. But what I'm hearing with you is plan, ride it out, and it will get, you can't stay there forever, right? Like literally if you keep knocking doors, you will find somebody that wants to get power from the sun,
0: period. Yep. You know? That's why it's so important to ride your momentum. Like yeah. when you're having a good week, yeah, I right. hate, it. nothing drives me crazier than when I see a rep killing it and then they just like, Take Friday and Saturday they just pa- off. <laughs> they just pack it in for like a week or two and yeah. you're just going, you lot like it's like that old game NBA jam when you hit like three yeah. in a row and you're on fire. Yeah, yeah, And all, and all of a sudden outdoor. you can't miss. It's like you once you're on fire, like you just have to just you keep shooting. Keep going. You know?
1: Well you never do that. You never get like on a like a home run streak. You hit two home runs and be like, I'm not gonna play for a week. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, keep hitting, dude. Yeah. Like
0: gives,
2: it it's so true. I I'm a, such a believer and for me like momentum selling, as I call it, like getting and keeping momentum is like, in my opinion, is this, is one of the main keys to being successful because we all know how that feels. Like coming back from a trip or something, like I mentioned earlier, like you try to get that momentum. It feels different, right? Like I think Adam, you said in another podcast, like sometimes it feels like you're like my confidence, my ability, it's just not, you know, quite there. And so I compare it to like surfing. I know Ty, you're a big surfer. I'm, I've surfed, but you know, still learning. And when you're out there and paddling and trying to catch a wave, like it's a lot of work and it's hard and it, and it can be frustrating, but once you catch the wave and you're with it, it's pretty effortless. And yeah. so, but you know, you can lose that wave and obviously, you know, it's, it, it goes back to that. And so in this job, when you have it and keeping that momentum, in my opinion, like I'll go a couple weeks in a row where I'm just like grinding and knocking doors and trying to get the ball rolling. And lots of maybe more cancels, and I you know close a deal or two, but it's usually like two or three weeks, and then it hits, then the momentum mm. for me hits, and then I'll ride you know this is how my quarters go, and then I'll ride two, three, four weeks in a row, you know, as I keep that ball rolling, and so I think, like you said, reps will close a deal it's worth twelve grand, and they're like, man, I'm set like all I need is four of these a year, and I've mm-hmm. doubled what I made before, right? I mean, we're we're so great, lucky and grateful to have what we have, but that's kind of the biggest thing: is the start and stop. It the key, in my opinion, to really big success here is is figuring out how to not be this and to just um, have a consistent work ethic and and schedule so that the momentum stays. So I remember. You don't lose
1: it. I remember in our first race. Um, when I was learning, so cycling is like, I I know that's the 25 miles. And so that should be the area where you can make the biggest gains, right? Because it's the longest and less like impact and whatever. And I remember learning on the bike, I actually wrote this down when I finished that you have to pedal in the downhill. That's really important. Right, because you're tired and you want to coast in the downhill. But if you want the most gains, and it's the easiest time to pedal a bike mm-hmm. is when it's going down a hill. So switch it in the hardest gear and pedal downhill. And then I remember consciously thinking, ride the hard gear longer than you think you can as you start to go up. So pedal through the down, ride the hard gear. Don't switch it till you have to, and then that's real distance. You know, but it's the same thing I think that we're talking about with selling, where it's like, hey. If it's easy for you to sell right now, if you're on fire, if you have momentum, the point of the job
0: isn't to get easy
1: sales, is to get lots of sales, mm-hmm. right? Well,
0: so rake them in while they're easy. The hard thing is when you don't have any momentum, like how do you get it? And so I, w- I don't know how you guys are when you're knocking, but like I'm in my head constantly. Like, like the stuff going on in my head is, you know, just weird a lot of the time. And I always relate everything to sports. So like, if I'm like three or four doors or five or six doors with nothing, in my head I started thinking about like, how, do the, how, do sport, how does momentum change in sports? And it's like in basketball, the best way to regain momentum is like a steal and then a dunk. Like a yeah. team's like struggling and they regain it through defense, right? So it's like, they steal it, outlet, dunk, and all of a sudden momentum shift. Yeah. In football, it's like sack, strip sack, return the fumble for a touchdown like you could be losing 21 nothing you get a strip fumble you know pick six whatever like huge momentum changing plays so like if it was like raining or snowing or like just i'm i'm like in a terrible funk i'd always be like all right i gotta i gotta get a strip sack right now like i gotta get a still dunk so i would like run to the next door like just do something drastic to like change my entire like feeling whatever and like you're always in your head like how do I get the quick the quick momentum change you know Mm -hmm. and it's not like because a lot of what we're talking about is like you're having a great week but I think there's like these crazy macro level momentum shifts every hour that you're out knocking you know what I mean and so it's like you got to figure out how to keep that momentum going all the time when you're on the doors so anyway that's why like I always think about like little sports moments that like you see these big momentum shifts in games.
1: I just picture a family looking out their window and they see Adam. You're, oh, dude, I would like have sprinting my at the door. And like, I'd have oh, my no.
0: iPad. I, if it was like raining, I had my iPad carrying like a football, like <laughs> jump in the hedge. And I'm just like, I, I, like gotta get to, I gotta get to the next door. Like I'd get to the door like doorbell and then they like ring the door and like you're in like, my up. head, I just, had a, I just had a fumble recovery for a touchdown.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I like that. I like so, picturing you like slipping in the front yard. Though. Yeah coming out a little too hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is something, you're, you're someone that, that understands the numbers of the business as far as like uh, uh, what it can do for you from a, like a financial standpoint. So maybe before we close out, what's the vision that you see? You're, you're smart. You have a lot of different options. And I feel like, I don't know if I heard this from you or for somebody else that you recently captured the vision of this is the last job I'll probably ever do. Um, so t- talk us through what you see there.
2: Yeah. Um, just to kind of go back a little bit you know, when I first started doing door to door, like most people, it was like, "Cool, let's make a quick buck so I have money and to take girls on dates and stuff." And
1: get back to that Applebee's, dude. Yeah, but this time you're the one paying. Mm-hmm. Seriously,
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> anything and, you want. Yeah. And even like I, you know, I had success and I was good at it, and I always go back. I still remember my dad in my second year selling. Cause at the time I was, I, was, um, I was going to BYU and I was in the accounting program, which was, you know, it's like top three in the country. You know, it was really hard. So I was really like, oh man, this is gonna be amazing. And my dad came to me, he's like, you're pretty good at this door-to-door thing. Like it's something, why don't you do that? And I'm like, come on, seriously? No, like that, that's not And your not dad's an
1: entrepreneur and has, yeah, has built businesses and stuff.
2: You know, an entrepreneur. And so I, I kept going through that and I graduated and I still remember I got a call um, and I got a job offer. I worked for, it was for PwC, um, accounting firm, and it was for forty five thousand dollars salary. And I was I was pumped and excited and like this is you know my path. And I got in there, and I'm like, well, first of all, this is you know the same amount of money I made in my first summer ever selling, and I'm doing a job that all I all I had
1: to do was get knocked out or knocked out a guy yeah. once. <laughs> Got to do,
2: yeah, get a boxing
1: match. <laughs> You're at your accounting firm being like, hey, <laughs> oh, who didn't sell? Who didn't get their Let's numbers? Guys, day? great idea. Great <laughs> I'm gonna, idea. I'm going to knock out Pete from the other cubicle.
2: <laughs> so anyway, I, I, I learned pretty quickly that that wasn't my path. And I was gone within a year. But I still was like, it's not door to door. Because yeah, my dad uh, an, is an entrepreneur. And he franchised Wendy's. And he had video stores. And he's done a lot. Commercial real estate. done a lot of different stuff. And... um. Very early on, he gave me the book *Rich Dad Poor Dad*, and he said, "Like, I swear it was like when I was like 12 or something. Like, here's this book, and I'm like way above, you know, my knowledge level. But I, I, I learned pretty early on that that's kind of how I wanted to live. I wanted to develop and grow wealth, and I thought it was through uh, being a business owner and being, you know, owning my own business. And as I kept going in this job, I started to, to kind of realize that I could have all of those things that I wanted." From being an entrepreneur, autonomy, like getting paid for what I what I do, but I could also build and create wealth faster than pretty much anything else that I could do. And so, even when I was still doing um, alarms, like I was thinking about doing a franchise or different things. And so, it wasn't until I got to solar that I really started to realize that, hey, like even though it sounds crazy to think I might be knocking doors for another decade, like. If I continue on this trajectory, this is what this looks like. And, you know, there's been various levels of like renewed commitment and even more excitement about staying in here long term. And obviously, especially lately, the conversation we had where, man, with what's possible financially, I could I could retire in 10 years. We could retire in 10 years if you take full advantage. And so for me, I'm not necessarily passionate about door-to-door. But I've always been passionate about you know building wealth and providing you know for my future for my family and myself, and from from that aspect of it, I finally you know it's actually probably only in the last couple of years said you know what this whole idea where I'm going to go start my own business like this no this is the opportunity and this is what I'm going to take full advantage of and I'm not going anywhere.
1: Well, this is your business, yeah, right? It, I mean, you you run your own business
2: exactly, and I and I just think that that we, for a lot of us, we're not necessarily there yet because we've had, we've grown up with different ideas and maybe what our family and friends think about door to door isn't like, you know, we're, we're worried about those things. I remember when I first came to, when I left PWC, I had two buddies that I knew of, not directly to me, both said, what is John doing? Like, <laughs> why in the world would he leave this, you know, top four public accounting firm and go into door to door. And so I've almost kind of had a chip on my shoulder there, but I've, I've just, anyway, I've, I've used that to say, you know what, like, this is an amazing opportunity and it's a way better opportunity than anything else I could be doing. And, and mentally understanding that and being committed and being all in is crucial. And, and I think there are people out there that, that are missing that and you know accepting that side of it, I think is, is big. And that helps you you know with the long-term vision of it.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine anything worse than just slogging it out, like hiking up a hill and not knowing when it ends, right? But I think if you, if you have a place where you want to go and you're really good at that, like I've always appreciated that you kind of come to these conclusions on your own and then are able to portray them and, and inspire other people. So on that note, dude, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, for inspiring people and for, for sitting with us.
2: Yeah, thanks guys.
1: This has been great. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, check us out at
0: viventsolarcom forward slash careers. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a great review and leave us a five-star rating.
1: Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.